Hello everyone. I am definitely am able to tell you that everything I'm about to tell you will absolutely be the most comprehensive un understandings of what I mean when I talk about my religious views. This, this is the brainpickings.org by Maria Pova. The Six Steps to Cosmic Consciousness, a pioneering theory of transcendence by the 19th century psychiatrist and adventurer Maurice Buck. We are not, quote unquote, patches of life scattered through an infinite sea of non-living substance, but, quote, specks of relative death in a finite ocean of life. Our normal waking consciousness, William Jones wrote in 1902, is but one special type of consciousness, whilst all about it, parted from it by the filmiest of screens. There lies potential forms of consciousness entirely different. No account of the universe in its totality can be final, which leaves these other forms of consciousness quite disregarded. A year earlier, the Canadian psychiatrist and adventurer Maurice Buck, March 18, 1837, was his birth date. February 19, 1902 was his death date. Published in a, a stunning personal account, a psychological study of a dazzling form of consciousness that lies just on the other side of that filmiest of screens accessible to all, Buck's cosmic consciousness a study in the evolution of the human mind public library went on to influence generations of thinkers as diverse as Albert Einstein, Eric Fromm, Abraham Maslow, Alan Watts, and Steve Jobs. By his own account, Buck, Maurice Buck, B-U-C-K-E, -E, I mean to say, was born of good middle-class English stock, but grew up almost entirely without education working tirelessly on his parents' farm in the backwoods of Canada, tending cattle, horses, sheep, and pigs, working in the hayfield, driving oxen and horses, and running various errands from the earliest age. He learned to read while he was still a small child and soon began devouring novels and poetry. He remembers that, like Emily Dickinson, he never, even as a child, accepted the doctrines of the Christian church, a disposition utterly countercultural in that era of extreme religiosity. Although his mother died when he was very young and his father shortly thereafter, Buck recalls being often overcome by, quote unquote, a sort of ecstasy of curiosity and hope. What a lovely phrase. At 16, he left the farm to quote unquote, to live or die as might happen, trekking, T-R-E-K-K-I-N-G, from the Great Lakes to the Gulf of Mexico, from Ohio to San Francisco, 
working on farms and railroads and steamboats, nearly escaping death by illness, starvation, and battle on several occasions. In his 20th year, he heard of the first major discovery of silver ore in America and joined a mining party, of which he was the only survivor in Barely. On his way to California, while crossing the mountains of the Sur Surya Nevada, he suffered frostbite so severe that one foot and a few toes on the remaining foot had to be amputated. When he finally made it to the Pacific coast, Buck used a moderate inheritance from his mother to give himself a proper college education. He devoured ideas from books as wide ranging as On the Origin of Species in Shelley's Poem. After graduating, he taught himself French so that he could read Auguste Comte and German so that he could read Goethe. At 30, he discovered and became intensely besotted with Walt Whitman's, Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass, which he felt contained vaster truth and richer meaning than any book he had previously encountered. It was Whitman who catalyzed Buck's transcendent experience. More than a century before Michael Pollan insisted in his masterly inquiry into the science of psychedelics that, quote, unquote, the beyond whatever it consists of might not be nearly as far away or, in, or inaccessible as we think. Buck suggested it might be just a poem, a poem away. Writing the third person as was customary for quote unquote, the writer in the 19th century, he recounts his transformative illumination. It was in the early spring at the beginning of his 36th year. He and two friends had spent the evening reading Wordsworth, Shelley, Keats, Browning, and especially Whitman. They parted at midnight and he had a long drive in a handsome. It was in an English city. His mind deeply under the influence of the ideas and images and emotions called up by the reading and talk of the evening was calm and peaceful. He was in a state of quiet, almost passive enjoyment. All at once without warning of any kind, he found himself wrapped around as it were by a flame colored cloud. For an instance, he thought of fire, some sudden conflagration in the great city. The next he knew that the light was within himself. Directly afterwards came upon him a sense of exaltation, of immense joyousness accompanied or immediately followed by an intellectual illumination quite impossible to describe. Into his brain steamed one momentary lightning flash of the Brahmic splendor which has ever since lightened his life upon his heart fell one drop of Brahmic blast. Leaving thenceforward for always an aftertaste of heaven. Amongst, among other things he did not come to believe, he saw and knew that the cosmos is not dead matter, but a living presence, that the soul of man is immortal. That the universe is so built in order that without any create Without any peradventure, all things work together for the good of each and all, that the foundation principle of the world is what we call love, and that the happiness of everyone is in the long run absolutely certain. Although the illumination only lasted a moment, but 
Buck felt that he learned more in those few seconds than in all his years of study, more ever than what could ever possibly be taught by the standard modes of scholarship. The quote unquote, the transformation of the heart is a wondrous thing no matter how you land there. Patty Smith would write a century later. In that instance, as quote unquote, the secret of Whitman's transcendent greatness was revealed. He experienced something he could never forget, which he called, quote unquote, cosmic consciousness, a term he borrowed from the English philosopher and poet Edward Carpenter, who was among the first Western thinkers to popularize the ancient teachings of the Eastern philosophical and spiritual traditions. Buck identifies three layers of consciousness, each built upon the lower, simple consciousness, a basic awareness which most non-human animals also possess, self-consciousness which render one aware not only of trees, rivers, and one's own body, but also of oneself as quote-unquote a distinct entity apart from all the rest of the universe, capable of treating one's own thoughts and feelings as objects of consciousness itself, and cosmic consciousness which Buck defines as an awareness of the life and order of the universe. In a passage of striking conscience, William James's framework of transcendent experiences, he writes, along with the consciousness of the cosmos, there occurs intellectual enlightenment or illumination, which alone will place the individual on a new plane of existence, which would make him almost a member of a new species. To this is added a state of moral exaltation, an indescribable feeling of elevation, elation, and joyousness, and a quickening of the moral sense, which is fully as striking and more important both to the individual and to the race than is the enhanced intellectual power. With these come what may be called a sense of immortality, a consciousness of eternal life, not a conviction that he shall have this, but the consciousness that he has it already. In language, that closely parallels the way people describe the effects of psycho psychedelics. Buck limbs the nature and, se and sequence of this revelatory experience. Like a flash, there is presented to the person's consciousness a clear conception, a vision, an outline of the meaning and drift of the universe. He does not come to believe merely, but he sees and knows that the cosmos, which to the self-conscious mind, seems made up of dead matter is in fact far otherwise is in very truth a living presence he sees that instead of men being as it were patches of life scattered through an infinite sea of non-living substance they are in reality specks of relative death and a finite ocean of life the person who passes through this experience will learn in a few minutes or even moments of its continuance more than in, in months or years of study he will learn that no study ever taught or can teach. Especially does he obtain such a conception of capital letters the whole, or at least of an immense capital letters whole, as dwarfs all conception, imagination and speculation springing from and belonging to ordinary self-consciousness, such a conception as makes the old attempts to mentally grasp the universe its meaning petty and even ridiculous. A year before William James published his classic treatise on consciousness and the four features of transcendent experiences, Buck, whom James references, outlines the characteristics of cosmic consciousness, at the heart of which he places the Eastern concept of brahmic splendor, also reflected in Dante's transhumanized state in Paradiso. 
when a sudden appearance, often accompanied by emerging in a cloud of haze or fire, instantaneousness of illumination, Buck writes, is one of its most striking features. It could be compared with nothing so well as with a dazzling flash of lightning in a dark night, bringing the landscape which had been hidden into clear view. A century later, physicist Freeman Dyson would describe one of his most significant scientific breakthroughs as a flash of illumination. Two, an ecstatic surge of emotion, joy, assurance, triumph, salvation, transcending the pleasures and pains, loves and hates, joys and sorrows, peace and war, life and death of self-conscious man. Three, an intellectual illumination arising from the emotional ecstasy difficult to put into words. William James also lived ineffability as the foremost feature of transcendent experiences. Four, dissolution of the fear of death. Five, dissolution of the sense of sin or wrongness. Six, a sense of immortality accompanying the moral elevation. This is not an intellectual conviction such as comes with the solution of a problem, nor is it experience such as learning something unknown before Buck writes. It is far more simple and elementary. Of central importance in this experience of illumination argues are the character, intellectual, moral, physical, and age of the person undergoing it. The illumination is truer and richer, Buck suggests, when experienced at a, at a later age. Should we hear of a case of cosmic consciousness occurring at 20, for instance, we should at first doubt the truth of the account, and if forced to believe it, we should expect the man, if he lived, to prove himself in some way a veritable spiritual giant. Drawing on the memoirs, biographies, and letters of historical figures, he goes on to compose a kind of ledger of such spiritual giants who have reported experiences indicative of cosmic consciousness, noting next to each person the age at which they underwent the illumination. Among them, he lists Francis Bacon, 30, William Blake, 31, Blaise Pascal, 31, Honore de Balzac, 32, Walt Whitman, 34, Guatama Buddha, 35, Edward Carpenter, 37, Baruch Spinoza, 45. Buck sees the attainment of cosmic consciousness as a vital step in the spiritual and moral evolution of our species, but he takes care to emphasize that it, quote unquote, must not be looked upon as being in any sense supernatural or supernormal, as anything more or less than a natural growth. With electric exuberance, he channels his optimism, both prescient and bittersweet in the hindsight of history. The immediate future of our race is indescribably hopeful. They, they, there are at the present moment impending oppressive revolutions, the least of which would dwarf the ordinary historic upheaval called by that name into absolute insignificance. There are one, the material, economic, and social revolution, which will depend upon and result from the establishment of a aerial navigation to the economic and social revolution which will abolish individual ownership and rid the earth of, at once of two immense evils, riches and poverty. And three, the psychical revolution of which there is here question. Either of the first two would and will radically change the conditions of and greatly uplift human life, but the third will do more for humanity than both of the former, where their importance multiplied by hundreds or even thousands. The three operating as they will together will literally create a new heaven and a new earth. All things will be done away and all will become new. 
The new result Black envisions will be nothing less than a revolution of the human soul. While human beings will remain resolutely spiritual, this revolution will be predicted on the dissolution of organized religion. Religion will not depend on tradition, it will not be believed and disbelieved, it will not be part of life belonging to certain hours, times, occasions, it will not be in sacred books nor in the mouths of priests, it will not dwell in churches and meetings and forms and days, its life will not be in prayers, hymns, nor discourses, it will not, be, it will not depend on special revelations or the words of gods who came down to teach nor or nor on any bibles or bibles it will have no mission to save men from their sins or to secure them entrance to heaven it will not teach a future immortality nor future glories for immortality and all glory will exist in the here and now the evidence of immortality will live in every heart as sight in every eye compliment bucks cosmic consciousness with Virginia Woolf's ecstatic description of a psychedelic experience. Physicist Alan Whiteman's poetic account of a secular transcendent experience and neuroscientist Christ the cock on this cockch on the central mystery of consciousness, then revisit Edward Carpenter inspired Buck's ideas on love, pain, and growth. I am a person of normal waking consciousness. I'm a person of cosmic consciousness. Um, I do have secular transcendent experiences. I do have uh, Christ-like transcendent experiences. I am a person of self-consciousness. And I am a person of simple consciousness as well. Self-consciousness, simple consciousness as well. Um, as for what he talked about religion, um, I dare say that um, I deeply revere people of religion, faith, and piety, including their human rights, their civil rights, their political rights, their economic rights, their social rights, and their cultural rights, of course. And I respect all houses of worship. Uh, I respect piety and theism as well. I think that when it comes to myself, when he was talking about riches, he was talking more about the greedy type of riches. He was talking about sin and wrongfulness. He's not saying that um, that people don't do wrong. He was talking about the dismissal of gray hairs and how wrong that is when you think about it. And when he was talking about the dissolution of organized religion, he was more trying to say this is what he this is how I take. He was talking about how what has been taught to us in organized religion is already happening. Um there are plenty of mature believers in the world 
So extreme religiosity is not an everybody reality, of course. And um, I also will say lastly, when it comes to when he was talking about religion, he, he was talking more about the things that are taught in house worship. He's, he feels that they're already happening. That's all he said. Um, so yes, I'm a person of cosmic consciousness. Okay. I want to talk about myself. All right. The 10 Habits of Highly Creative People. Scott, Barry Kaufman, and Carolyn Gregor explore how to develop creativity as a habit and a style of engaging with the world. By Scott, Barry Kaufman, and Carolyn Gregor, January 20, 2016. This is greatergood.berkeley.edu. What exactly is creativity? So many of us assume that creativity is something we had as a child, but we lost, or something allocated to rarefied <coughs> individuals that we can only admire from afar. But science has shown that in many ways, we're all wired to create. The key is recognizing that creativity is multifaceted on the level of the brain, personality, and creative process, and can be displayed in many different ways from the deeply personal experience of uncovering a new idea, or experience to expressing ourselves through words, photos, fashion, other everyday creations, to the work of renowned artists that transcends the ages. Neuroscientists who study creativity have found that creativity does not involve a single brain region or even a single side of the brain, as the right brain myth of creativity suggests. Instead, it draws on the whole brain. This complex process consists of many interacting cognitive systems, both conscious and unconscious, and emotions with different brain regions recruited to handle each task and to work together as a team to get the job done. The discovery of the quote-unquote default network of the brain, the part of the brain at work when we are not purposely engaged in other tasks, is one of the most important recent discoveries in neuroscience. The default network enables us to construct personal meaning from our experiences, imagine other perspectives and scenarios, comprehend stories, and reflect on mental and emotional states both our own and those of others. It should come as no surprising that the activity of this work, as we like to call it, the quote-unquote imagination network, also forms our most creative ideas. The quote-unquote executive attention network of the brain is also crucial to, to creativity, however. Executive control processes support creative thinking by helping us deliberately plan future actions. Remember to use various creative tactics, keep track of which strategies We've already tried and reject the most obvious ideas. They also help us focus our imagination, blocking out external distractions, allowing us to tune into our inner experiences. When we generate new ideas, these networks, along with the salience network, which is responsible for motivation, engage in a complex dance. Researchers have observed this cognitive tango in action through the brain scans of people engaging in their personal creative processes. Initially, their brain states resemble a state of flow or complete absorption in the past. The imagination and salience networks are highly active while the more focused executive domain is relatively quiet. However, as creative people further own and refine their work, the executive attention network becomes increasingly more active. Creative people are particularly good at exercising flexibility and activating and deactivating these brain networks and most people tend that and most people tend to be at odds with each other. In doing so, they're able to juggle seemingly contradictory modes of thought, 
Cognitive and emotional, deliberate and spontaneous, even on a neurological level, creativity is messy. So what can we do to augment this cognitive flexibility? In our book, Wired to Create, explore how to develop creativity as a habit, a way of life and a style of engaging with the world. We present many paradoxes, mindfulness and mind wandering, openness and sensitivity, solitude and collaboration, play and seriousness and intuition and reason that contribute to the creative process. We encourage people to embrace their paradoxes and complexities and open up to a deeper level of self-understanding and self-expression. It is precisely this ability to hold this self in all of its dimensional beauty that is the very core of creative achievement and creative fulfillment. Here are the some of the habits of mind we recommend to foster more creativity in your life. One, imaginative play. Observing children in imaginative play reveals a wellspring of natural born creativity. When engaged in pretend play, children take on multiple perspectives and playfully manipulate emotions and ideas. As adults, cultivating a childlike sense of play can revolutionize the way we work. Research shows that hybrid forms of work and play may actually provide the most optimal context for learning and creativity for both children and adults in that play and intrinsic joy are intimately connected creating a synergy that naturally leads to greater inspiration, effort, and creative growth. Two, passion. Passion often stems from an experience or relationship that moved us somehow and can lead to inspiration. It is often the emotional fuel that starts one down a creative path, but it's only a start. People who fulfill their creative dreams over the long haul balance the excitement about the future with realistic strategies for getting closer to their goals. Inspiration with hard work and dreaming with doing. When someone advises you to quote unquote follow your passion, use caution aside from being one of the most common cliches out there, it's not very helpful advice. You must look for passion that is in harmony with your authentic self and is compatible with your other activities. Passion to prove yourself to others will probably not result in creativity as it relies on your avoiding challenges that would otherwise lead to growth. So while you should be open to what inspires you, don't follow passion blindly. Make sure it truly resonates with you and your skills. Three, daydreaming. Creative people know, despite what their parents and teachers might have told them, that daydreaming is anything but a waste of time. A review of the latest science of daydreaming has shown that mind wandering offers very personal rewards, including creative incubation, self-awareness, future planning, reflection on the meaning of one's experiences, and even compassion. Idle though it may seem, the act of mind wandering is often anything but mindless. It can lead to improvements in creative thinking. So the next time you're working hard on a creative project or work assignment that requires intense focus and creative chops, try taking a five-minute daydreaming break every hour. Try engaging in a simple activity that will allow your mind to wander, like walking, doodling, or cleaning, and see how it affects your ideas and thinking. Four, solitude. The metaphorical quote-unquote room of one's own is a basic need for many creative people. Now, science has reinforced what the work habits of countless artists have demonstrated. Time for solitary reflection truly feeds the creative mind. Neuroscientists have discovered that solitary, inwardly focused reflection employs a different brain network then outwardly focus attention. When our mental focus is directed towards the outside world, the executive attention network is activated while the imagination network is typically suppressed. 
This is why our best ideas don't tend to arise when our attention is fully engaged on the outside world. It's important to make time for solitude, to give yourself space to reflect, make new connections, and find meaning. Unfortunately, solitude is widely undervalued in society, leading many people to shy away from alone time. We tend to view time spent alone as time wasted or as an indication of an antisocial or melancholy personality. But the ability to enjoy and make productive use of our own company contributes creativity by helping us tap into our thought and our own inner world. So don't avoid it, embrace it. Five, intuition. Intuition arises from unconscious or spontaneous information processing symptoms, systems, information processing systems. And it plays an important role in how we think, reason, create, and behave socially. Over the past 30 years, cognitive scientists have made huge strides in demystifying the power of the unconscious mind, leading to the recognition of a dual process theory of human cognition, or the classic slow brain, quote unquote theory. Intuition is part of the fast brain system. The fast brain is structurally more the fast brain is structurally more sophisticated than the slow brain. It helps us assimilate new information into our existing knowledge structures and aids us in complex pattern recognition and in making unconventional connections that lead to more original ideas and solutions. The fast brain plays the largest role when generating creative ideas, while the more deliberate slow brain play a larger role when exploring those ideas and playing around with them to determine their uses and applications. Both the fast brain and slow brain have a role to play. Six, openness to experience. Openness to experience the drive for cognitive exploration of one's inner and outer worlds is the single strongest and most consistent personality trait that predicts creative achievement. Openness can be intellectual, characterized by searching for truth and the drive to engage with ideas, the aesthetic, characterized by the drive to explore fantasy and art, and experience emotional absorption and beauty, or effective, characterized by exploring the depths of human emotion. Research has found that the desire to learn and discover seems to have significantly more bearing on the quality of creative work than intellect alone. So if you want to boost your creativity, try out a new creative outlet or a totally different medium of expression or take a new route home from work or seek out a new group of people with different interests or values that you might learn from. Openness to new experiences can help increase your integrative complexity, the capacity to recognize new patterns and find links among seemingly unrelated pieces of information. Seven, mindfulness. While the capacity to observe the present moment without distraction or judgment is a vital skill for anyone who seeks enjoyment and fulfillment in life, it's particularly important for creative thinkers. A large body of research has associated mindfulness both as a practice and as a personality trait with many cognitive and psychological benefits like improved task concentration and sustained attention, empathy and compassion, introspection, self-regulation, enhanced memory and improved learning, positive effect and emotional well-being. Many of these are central to creativity. However, for optimum cognitive flexibility and creativity, it's best to achieve a balance of mindfulness and mind wandering. Some forms of mindfulness may actually work against creativity, specifically those that encourage one to let go of thinking rather than accepting thoughts in a more open manner. Interestingly, open monitoring meditation, which emphasizes tuning into one's subjective experience, has been found to increase both active the functional connectivity of the imagination network. So try practicing open monitoring or non-directive form of meditation. Allow for constructive mind wandering while also boosting 
attention. Eight, sensitivity. We think of creativity as quote unquote connecting the dots in some way. And sensitive people, those who have a heightened sensitivity to their surroundings and also the intensified experiences of Andrea Bartz wrote in Psychology Today that, quote, unquote, those who learn to dial down the relentless sweeping and grasping expectation almost desirable accompaniment to extreme sensitivity are able to transform raw perception into keen perceptiveness. So rather than trying to harden yourself, you may want to harness your sensitivity into artistic expression. Nine, turning adversity to advantage. Experiences of loss, struggle, suffering, defeat can be powerful catalysts for personal growth, creativity, and deep transformation. It is often through suffering that we learn compassion, from loss that we learn understanding, and from overcoming struggles that we come to discover our own strength and beauty. Adverse events can force us to examine our beliefs and life projects, and therein lie their power and creative potential. At the experience of adversity, the mind is aggregated this morning, is actively dismantling to make meaning of different experiences try expressive writing while research has found which research has found can lessen symptoms of post-traumatic stress and depression while improving some cognitive functions like working memory interestingly research has also found that extreme positive events in particular those that evoke feelings of awe, wonder inspiration connection to something greater than the self can also encourage creativity. Positive emotions build a person's psychological resources, broadening attention, inspiring new thoughts and behaviors, and stimulating creative thinking. So if you're looking for a creative boost, treat all of life's meaningful moments, the good and the bad, and in between, as potential sources of inspiration and motivation. By the way, emotions are not negative or positive. It's what you do with it, okay? 10. Thinking differently. Creative people are, uni are united by their unwillingness to abide by conventional ways of thinking and doing things. Choosing to do things differently, they accept the possibility of uncertainty and failure. But it's precisely this risk that opens up the possibility of true innovation. The secret to creative greatness appears to be doing things differently, even when that means failing. Especially during idea generation phases, trial and error is essential for innovation. Dean Keith Simonton, who studied creativity, found that the quality of creative ideas is a positive function of quality. The more ideas creative creators generate, the greater chances they will produce an eventual masterpiece. Doing things differently means you'll probably do things badly or wrong, so expect that and don't let caution get in the way of creativity. Will following all these routes of creativity mean you'll become a creative genius? Not, necess not necessarily, but when the artist is alive in any person, whatever their kind of work may be, they become an inventive, searching, daring, self-expressive creature. If we learn to embrace our own messy, creative selves, we give others permission to do the same. We help create a world that is more welcoming of the creative spirit, and we make it possible to find a greater connection with others and with ourselves in the process. So I am a person who is a highly creative person. I am a 
I do imagination play. I do passion. I do dream. I do daydreaming. I do solitude. I do intuition. I do openness to experience. I do mindfulness. I do sensitivity. I do turning adversity to advantage. And I am thinking differently. And I'm a creative genius. And I've created greatness in me. All right. So I'm going to be doing a part two of this. Uh, I'm going to take my time. And I'm not in a rush at all. I'm not. Then I'll do part three of the recovery from childhood abuse uh, sometime this week. I'm going to stop now. Thank you.